the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The most important thing in your life is not knowing the time of Christ's return, but it's preparing our hearts for His return. That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. Here is Pastor Mark Finley with today's Hope Lives 365. Psalm 119, verse 105. We're going to look at four Bible passages. Psalm 119, verse 105. And try to put this idea of light in Scripture together. Light can represent a variety of things in Scripture. What does it mean that you are children of the light? Psalm 119, verse 105. You know it well. Your word, let's read it together. You ready? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So throughout scripture, the word of God is light. So to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, to be a light to the world, means that the word of God is filling my heart that I'm spending more time with the Word than I am with television, that I'm spending more time with the Word than I am on the computer, that I'm spending more time with the Word than I am sending text messages. Come on, church now. So the Scripture says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. To be children of light means to saturate your mind with the Word. Now, second illustration of light is John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. We put four ideas about light together. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. What does it mean to be the light of the world? It means to have my mind saturated with the word of God and to have Jesus, who's the light of the world, living in my life. God's word illuminates our darkness. God's word clears up our confusion. God's word answers the deepest questions of our heart. And Jesus, the light of the world, brightens our days. He guides our decisions. He gives us a purpose for living. Now notice, 2 Peter chapter 1 also talks about the light. 2 Peter chapter 1. You're looking there. Let's start with verse 19 through 21. 2 Peter 1, verse 19 to 21. We also have the prophetic word made sure, which you do well to take heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Notice, you have the prophetic word. God's word of prophecy shines light on the darkness ahead. The prophecies of Daniel prophecies of revelation reveal in a time of darkness 
light on the road ahead. The word of God is light. Jesus is light. His prophetic word is light. And when your mind is saturated with the word, when Jesus, the light of the world, fills your heart, when the prophetic word inspires you as light, you become a light to the world. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, verse 14, notice it. God's word is light. Jesus is light. The prophecies of God's word are light. Matthew 5, verse 14. And what does Jesus say? He says, you are what? The light of the world. So what Christ desires is this. To have our minds so filled with his word. To have Jesus so shining in our hearts. To have the prophetic word so inspiring us with hope. That we sense a new purpose for living. We sense a new meaning for life. The world does not squeeze us into its mold. The world does not narrow us down because we sense that we have a purpose in life. We sense we have a destiny in life. We sense that we have a calling in life. We are lights in a world of darkness. There's a wonderful statement. In the book Desire of Ages, page 307, marvelous book on the life of Christ. And it says this, true character is not shaped from without and put on. It radiates from within. If we wish to direct others to the path of righteousness, the principles of righteousness must be enshrined in our own hearts. Our profession of faith may proclaim the theory of religion. But it is our practical piety that holds forth the word of truth. Now listen to this. The consistent life. What kind of a life? Consistent life. The consistent life. The holy conversation. The unswerving integrity. The active benevolent spirit. The godly example. These are mediums through which light is conveyed to the world. How does God convey his light to the world? He conveys it through a Christian whose mind is saturated with the word of God, whose heart is filled with the living Christ, who lives a consistent godly life. They're not one thing in church and another thing at home. They're not one thing at church and another thing when it comes to their business. They're not one thing at church and another thing when it comes to dealing with people around them. They live godly, consistent lives. I like this, unswerving integrity. What is unswerving integrity? It's not trying to protect yourself and make yourself look better than you are. It's admitting when you make a mistake. It's admitting when you fall and you stumble. The church is not a place where we hypocritically make believe that everybody is going to be perfect all the time. We stumble, we fall, but we get our arms around one another, lovingly pick one another up. We don't have to wear our masks. Unswerving integrity, honesty. It talks about a benevolent spirit, the spirit that wants to give, the loving, kind, compassionate spirit. It talks about the godly example, and it says these are mediums through which light is conveyed to the world. What is Jesus talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he talks about getting ready for the coming of Christ? He's talking about a group of people who, weak and frail, have come to Jesus. 
He lives within their hearts. His word saturates their mind. They are driven by prophecy and they live honest lives of integrity. And the spirit of Christ is working through them and the world is touched both by what they say and how they live. The darkness of self-centered living is like chasing a phantom. We're always seeking but never finding. Living on the knife edge of eternity. God calls us to live life with purpose in Christ. He calls us to have our lives radiating with the glory of his presence. Three things here in our passage. First, three contrasts. First, the contrast between light and darkness. Secondly, the contrast between watching and sleeping. Now take your Bible, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul makes this appeal. He appeals to the church to be light in a time of darkness. The light of the word of God filling their hearts. The light of Christ motivating their life. The light of the prophetic word driving them to be witnesses in the world. But then he talks about watching and sleeping. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch. What does it mean to watch and not to sleep? Sleeping and watching can best be understood in the light of Christ's Gethsemane experience. So if you have your Bible, take it to Mark chapter 4. We need to look at what watching and sleeping is all about in Scripture. Mark, the 14th chapter. Now, Jesus was on the verge of the crucifixion. Before Christ lay betrayal, rejection, the farce of a trial, scourging, and death. He needed strength to face the terrible ordeal. So with a few of his disciples, he made his way to the garden to pray. And when you look in on the scene... In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, it says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Jesus was facing betrayal. He was facing denial. He was facing rejection. He was facing the nails driven through his hands, the crown of thorns placed upon his head. He was facing the crucifixion, and Jesus so desperately needed his disciples to be praying for him. And so he left the larger group of disciples. Verse 33, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he says to them in verse 34, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. That's our word. What does it mean to watch? He went a little farther and fell on his ground and prayed, asking if it were possible that the hour of the cross might pass from him. He surrenders to the Father's will. But notice what happens. The scripture says in verse 37, Then he came and found them sleeping. And he said, Simon, you're sleeping. Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. What was Jesus, in effect, saying to Peter? He is saying, Peter, look, you are going to face the greatest trial of your life. The mob is coming. The mob is on its way. You're going to face trial. You're going to face imprisonment. I will go to the cross and die. 
but the Christian church left on earth after my resurrection will face burning at the stake. Pastor Mark Finley will continue with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. You can grow in your knowledge of God's Word by enrolling in online courses by Pastor Mark Finley. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. When you go there, you will find wonderful courses such as Bible prophecy, discipleship, leadership, or improving your health. These courses are especially designed to help you discover deeper insights into the Bible. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. Or call right now to register, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. 888-244-HOPE. Here now, once again, Pastor Mark Finley. It will face martyrdom. It'll face betrayal by its friends. It'll face the greatest trials in history. Peter, watch. Peter, be alert. Peter, be sensitive to what's happening. You never get strength for the trial when the trial comes. You get strength for the trial before the trial comes. Strength for trials in life do not come at the moment of trial. They come in the secret place of prayer before the trial comes. The strength comes as we fill our mind with the Word of God. Many Christians do well in the Christian life as long as their internal ability to resist temptation is greater than the external temptation. But when the external temptation is greater than the internal ability to cope, they fall apart. The only solution is getting strength before the trial. Now, in a marvelous passage, in Testimonies to the Church, page 204, I read from the inspired commentary these words. At the most critical moment, Now, at the most critical moment, you see, the disciples were sleeping in the light of the eternal significance of the moment. The destiny of the world was at stake, but they were sleeping. The decisive battle and the great controversy was about to burst upon them, but they were sleeping. They were to be thrust with Jesus into the greatest trial of their lives, but they were sleeping. What does it mean they were sleeping? They had this spiritual drowsiness. They were not alert to what was happening. Now I read 2 Testimonies 204. They lost much by sleeping. Our Savior designed to fortify them for the severe test of their faith to which they would soon be subjected. If they had spent that mournful period in watching with the dear Savior in prayer, Peter would not have been left to his own feeble strength and deny his Lord in the time of trial. Why did Peter deny his Lord in the time of trial? Because he wasn't alert to what was going to happen. He didn't realize the mob was coming. He didn't realize the severity of the trial. So he was in this drowsy spirituality. Now, notice, there is a parallel. Their eyes were heavy. Jesus found them sleeping. I'm continuing to read this reference, 2 Testimonies 204. By these sleeping disciples is represented a sleeping church when the day of God's visitation is nigh. So, inspiration tells us 
that the condition of the disciples is the condition often of many Christians waiting for the coming of Christ. They are not awake to what's taking place around them. What is the solution to all of that? What is the solution? The solution is to watch and be spiritually alert in the light of the signs of the times. To live a godly life of prayer and Bible study and submission to God's will and active witness to others. It is not to allow the world to squeeze you in by the mundane things of life. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, My greatest concern is not time charts. My greatest concern is not elaborate computations. My greatest concern is that God's people get sucked in to a world that's saying, oh, I want internal peace. I want some kind of external security, economic security, personal security. Paul says, my greatest concern is that we won't be light in a time of darkness. My greatest concern, we won't be watching, we'll be in this state of spiritual drowsiness. Now notice one more contrast he gives, light and darkness. Sleep and watching. Watching, being alert. Now, notice the last one that he gives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here we go. Last one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He gives one more contrast, and properly this is the most powerful one he gives. He says, verse 6, last part. Therefore let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be what? Sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And for those who get drunk, are drunk at night. Sobriety has to do with clear thinking. Drunkenness confuses the thinking process. When a person gets drunk, they lose their grip on reality. They live in a world of confused thinking. In scripture, to be sober is to live by faith in the salvation provided by Christ and Christ alone. It's to be motivated by the hope of Jesus' soon return. It's to be alert to the opportunities that he provides us in the light of eternity to witness for him. In scripture, to be drunk is to be so concerned about the things of time that the things of eternity take second place in our life. In scripture, to be drunk is that our thinking becomes foggy, our priorities become confused. The problems of today crowd out the things of eternity and the world subtly, unexpectedly squeezes us into its mold. Paul's appeal to the Thessalonians and to his people today is in the light of the delay of the advent. To have your mind saturated with God's word. To be spiritually alert as lights in the world of darkness. And to cherish the incredibly good news that Christ and Christ alone can give us peace. That Christ and Christ alone can give us security. That Christ and Christ alone is coming again. And he is the incredible hope of the world. One of my cherished possessions is an old maple tree. An old maple tree. This old maple is over 200 years old. I cherish it. Not because it's a maple, but because what it represents. I want to take you back. Back to the 1830s. Back to the 1840s. At that time, the world believed that there'd be a thousand years of peace. And there'd be a millennial period on earth. But there was a young farmer 
living up in Lowhampton, New York. His name, William Miller. And the light of God's word filled his heart. The light of Jesus changed his life. He was a deist. He believed that God turned up the world, turned on the world, and then turned it off. Turned off the clock and God wouldn't interfere with the world. But his heart was barren. His soul was cold. And he began to study the word of God and there he found Jesus. And Jesus was the light of his life and the scriptures became the passion of his life. As he studied the word of God, he sensed Christ was coming and coming soon. Based on the prophecies of Daniel, he thought Jesus would come in the 1840s. One day, he was out among these maple trees. I was leading a group up at Lowhampton, New York. An old man came to me. He said, Pastor, Pastor. One of those old maple trees fell down. This is where William Miller prayed under the maple tree. Pastor, I want to give it to you. I want to give you a part of that old maple tree. Miller began to preach about the coming of Christ. There was a great spiritual revival through America. Hearts were touched, lives were changed, gamblers became honest, and prostitutes became pure, and Laodicean sleeping, complacent Christians had a new sense that Christ would come, and eventually they thought Jesus would come in or around 1844. They settled on a date called October 22, 1844. Jesus did not come. They were bitterly, bitterly disappointed. And Miller was now, 1845, 1846, Miller was dying. And as Miller was dying, his friend Hiram Edson came to him. And he said, don't you regret, don't you regret your preaching? Don't you regret pointing to people that he would come in 1844? What do you believe about Christ coming today? On the opposite side of the old maple are Miller's words, engraved in the maple by an old man who's the curator there today. And Miller said to Hiram Edson, what do I believe about the coming of Christ? I believe it's going to be today and today and today. Today and today and today until he comes is when my heart must be ready. Miller said, for me, preparation for the coming of Christ is today. For me, my heart must be ready today. For me, I'm not waiting for tomorrow. For me, I'm not looking for some date on a timeline. For me, my sins must be forgiven today. For me, today, Christ must be enshrined in my heart. For me, today, I must surrender selfishness and pride and criticism and bitterness. For me, today is the day of salvation. I have fixed my mind on another time. And it is today and today and today. Thank you, sir. Father in heaven, the way to be ready for your coming is not to live in fear, not to be filled with anxiety not to shake with trepidation that we may be lost. Jesus has made every provision for every single person to be saved. The way to be ready for your coming 
is to open our hearts to your love, to be changed by your spirit, to be filled with your grace, to live watchful, sober lives on the edge of eternity. Father, right now I pray that you'd touch somebody here. Touch somebody here. Maybe there's somebody here that's never made a full commitment to you. And they want to do that right now. Touch them. Maybe there's somebody here that's struggling with something in their life. And they want to surrender that thing. Touch them right now. Maybe there's somebody here who's discouraged, about ready to give up. Touch them right now. Maybe there's somebody here who the hope of the second coming of Christ, although they believe it, burns dimly in their heart. Light a flame in their life right now. If you sense that you're in one of those categories and you need Jesus to make a deep commitment to him, just raise your hand. Oh, my Father, you see our hands and you know our hearts. Send us from this place filled with hope the hope of the soon coming of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go with the joy of Jesus in your heart. We live with purpose. He is coming again. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. At a time when people have accepted the evolutionary hypothesis, seeing is believing, reveals the remarkable design in nature, demonstrating a mastermind behind all of creation. Where there is a design, there must be a designer. And where there is an intelligent design, there must be an intelligent designer. Your faith will be strengthened as you read Mark Fenley's Seeing is Believing. Call today for your copy. Your donation of any size helps to keep us on the air and support the Hope Lives 365 ministry. Seeing is Believing. Call 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673 or visit hopelives365.com. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.